We read God's Word this evening in Leviticus chapter 14, which describes the cleansing of a leper with hyssop, which will be relevant to our text in Psalm 51. We read God's Word in Leviticus chapter 14, the first 20 verses. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, This shall be the law of the leper in the day of his cleansing. He shall be brought unto the priest. And the priest shall go forth out of the camp, and the priest shall look, and behold, if the plague of leprosy be healed in the leper, then shall the priest command to take for him that is to be cleansed two birds alive and clean, and cedar wood, and scarlet, and hyssop. And the priest shall command that one of the birds be killed in an earthen vessel over running water. As for the living bird, he shall take it, and the cedar wood, and the scarlet, and the hyssop, and shall dip them and the living bird in the blood of the bird that was killed over the running water. And he shall sprinkle upon him that is to be cleansed from the leprosy seven times, and shall pronounce him clean, and shall let the living bird loose into the open field. And he that is to be cleansed shall wash his clothes and shave off all his hair, and wash himself in water, that he may be clean. And after that he shall come into the camp, and shall tarry abroad out of his tent seven days. But it shall be on the seventh day that he shall shave all his hair off his head, and his beard, and his eyebrows, even all his hair he shall shave off, and he shall wash his clothes, also he shall wash his flesh in water, and he shall be clean. And on the eighth day he shall take two he lambs without blemish, and one ewe lamb of the first year without blemish, and three tenth deals of fine flour for a meat offering mingled with oil, and one log of oil, and the priest that maketh him clean shall present the man that is to be made clean, and those things before the Lord at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. And the priest shall take one he lamb and offer him for a trespass offering and the log of oil, and wave them for a wave offering before the Lord. And he shall slay the lamb in the place where he shall kill the sin offering and the burnt offering in the holy place. For as the sin offering is the priest's, so is the trespass offering. It is most holy. And the priest shall take some of the blood of the trespass offering, and the priest shall put it upon the tip of the right ear of him that is to be cleansed, and upon the thumb of his right hand, and upon the great toe of his right foot. 
and the priest shall take some of the log of oil and pour it into the palm of his own left hand, and the priest shall dip his right finger in the oil that is in his left hand and shall sprinkle of the oil with his finger seven times before the Lord. And of the rest of the oil that is in his hand shall the priest put upon the tip of the right ear of him that is to be cleansed and upon the thumb of his right hand and upon the great toe of his right foot upon the blood of the trespass offering. And the remnant of the oil that is in the priest's hand he shall pour upon the head of him that is to be cleansed and the priest shall make an atonement for him before the Lord." And the priest shall offer the sin offering and make an atonement for him that is to be cleansed from his uncleanness, and afterward he shall kill the burnt offering. And the priest shall offer the burnt offering and the meat offering upon the altar, and the priest shall make an atonement for him, and he shall be clean. Thus far we read God's holy word. We turn to Psalm 51 for our text this evening. Psalm 51, 7 through 9. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness, that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. Hide thy face from my sins, and blot out all mine iniquities. Beloved, we often believe the devil's lie that if we sin, it will have little to no effect upon us. We even think sometimes, if I sin, I can repent, and then everything will be fine again. Or worse, we think, I can sin and enjoy God's favor and fellowship even if I do not repent. And David's experience, as it is set forth for us in Psalm 51, is written for our learning and warning in this regard. David committed terrible sins, the horrible sin of adultery and murder, and he felt that he had gotten away with it. He felt relieved for a time, but soon God began to chastise him. And after many months of chastisement, God then sent Nathan, the prophet, to confront him. We recall how Nathan sets forth in great detail the depth and depravity of David's sins in 2 Samuel. And Nathan also warns David about the painful consequences still to come. And David then responds to God's word by confessing, I have sinned against the Lord. And God's response to him 
through the prophet was, the Lord also hath put away thy sin, thou shalt not die. You might expect, therefore, that having heard those words from God through the prophet Nathan, that David would immediately write Psalm 32. Remember, Psalm 32 celebrates the forgiveness of sins. That Psalm 32 begins this way, Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man unto whom the Lord imputeth not his sin. But David does not write that. Not yet. He's not ready to write that. Instead, he writes Psalm 51, which has, as we have seen, a very different character. That psalm begins this way, Have mercy upon me, O God. That psalm continues in our text, Purge me, wash me, Make me to hear joy and gladness. Hide thy face from my sins. Blot out all mine iniquities. And why does he write that? And why does he make those requests when God has already said to him through the prophet Nathan, the Lord also hath put away thy sin, thou shalt not die. Why not write Psalm 32? Why write Psalm 51? And the explanation, beloved, is this. There's a difference between the objective truth of forgiveness, the fact, if you will, of forgiveness, and the subjective appropriation of forgiveness. Just because a person is forgiven, even if God has said to that person through the prophet Nathan that he is forgiven, does not necessarily mean that he feels forgiven, that he knows himself to be forgiven, that he is assured in himself of that forgiveness. Clearly, David is in that category, one who has not yet appropriated his forgiveness subjectively. You can tell someone who has fallen into a deep, deep sin and who is genuinely sorry for that deep, deep sin that he is forgiven. And that person will often find it difficult to grasp that truth because of the depth of his sin and because of the length of his impenitence. And so you're not going to find that person in Psalm 32 yet. He's not yet going to be singing, blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven. You're going to find him in Psalm 51. Purge me, wash me, make me to hear 
joy and gladness. Hide thy face from my sins. Blot out my iniquities. Because, beloved, the deeper the fall into sin, the deeper the repentance from that sin will be. And the deeper will be the need for cleansing from that sin. Notice then a prayer for deep cleansing. A prayer for deep cleansing. Notice first the deep misery and then the humble request, and finally, the believing expectation. In Psalm 51, beloved, David is miserable, and he describes his misery in different ways. He is unclean, he feels dirty, he feels guilty, he feels broken. And let's begin with uncleanness. Verse 7, purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. By asking to be clean, he is confessing that he is unclean. We're not familiar with this idea of being unclean. It's an Old Testament idea. We understand what it means to be dirty in a physical sense. Someone works all day, he's sweaty, he's filthy, his clothes are dirty, he needs a shower, his clothes need to be laundered, that's dirty in the physical sense. We also know what it means to be unclean or dirty in a moral sense. We break God's commandments. We offend God who is holy and who is righteous. And so we are unclean in a spiritual sense, guilty, filthy before God. But in the Old Testament, there was a third kind of filthiness or uncleanness. It wasn't physical dirt. It wasn't even disobedience to God's commandments. It was called ceremonial uncleanness. And there were were very many ways in which one might become ceremonially unclean. Read through a book like Leviticus. It gives you many different examples of how one might become unclean. You eat something, an unclean kind of meat, you become unclean. You touch something, perhaps you touch a bone of a dead person, you become unclean. Something oozes forth from your body, a discharge that makes you unclean. And so David understands this idea of uncleanness. And the consequences of uncleanness, of ceremonial uncleanness, concerned the worship of God, concerned ceremonies at the tabernacle or the temple. Let's say you're in the Old Testament, 
and you eat something which is unclean, or you touch something which is unclean, you become unclean. You may not, therefore, while you are unclean, you may not enter into the tabernacle or the temple in order to worship God. God himself says you may not come because you are unclean. Numbers 19 verse 20, for example, says this. But the man that shall be unclean and shall not purify himself, that soul shall be cut off from among the congregation. So if you're unclean, you must first of all purify yourself with the various ceremonies supplied by God, and then and only then may you come into the presence of God in the tabernacle or in the temple. And the worst example of uncleanness in the Old Testament was leprosy. We read Leviticus chapter 14, which concerns leprosy. Leprosy was not merely a disease. There are all kinds of diseases, but leprosy was a disease which made one unclean. Leprosy began usually with a spot on the skin. It began as something that didn't look very serious, but then a person had to be examined by a priest. What is this spot on the skin? And the priest then would say whether or not that spot was leprosy or something else, because only the priest, using the instructions in Leviticus, was able to identify whether someone was a leper or not. And then a leper, when that leprosy was confirmed, he was immediately sent away. He could not live with his fellow saints in the Old Testament church in Israel. He had to leave his family and his friends behind He had to leave the worshiping community of Israel and live outside the camp. And outside the camp, then, he began to die as that leprosy slowly but surely spread through the victim's body, consuming his flesh and covering him with horrible sores. And David here in Psalm 51 is thinking of leprosy. We know this because in verse 7 he says, Purge me with hyssop. And hyssop was used specifically in the cleansing of a leper, which we read in Leviticus chapter 14. Now David, of course, is not saying in Psalm 51 that he was, in fact, a leper. He was not actually a leper. But from a spiritual point of view, that's how he views himself as he thinks about what he has done. I am, he says to God in this verse 7, I am like a leper. I am revolting. I am loathsome, 
I am offensive. I am obnoxious to God. I am the spiritual equivalent of a leper. I'm covetous. I coveted my neighbor's wife. I'm an adulterer. I took my neighbor's wife. I'm a thief. I stole what did not belong to me. I'm a murderer. I killed my neighbor in order to have and to keep his wife. I am a blasphemer. I despised God. I am a liar. I hid my sin and covered it up and would not confess it. I am like a leper. And David, knowing himself to be like a leper, asks God to cleanse him. Because a leper, according to Leviticus 14, required two things. First of all, he required to be cleansed ceremonially, and then he required the forgiveness of his guilt. Cleanse me from my sin, verse 2, we read. I shall be clean, verse 7. Purge me with hyssop. Verse 7. That's how David viewed himself. A leper, spiritually speaking, as disgusting in the sight of God as a leper. That's how we must also view ourselves when we commit sin. And we will if we understand what sin is. Sin defiles us. Sin makes us offensive to God. For example, we speak lies. Or we speak cruel words designed to hurt another person, let's say our spouse or our children or our parents or our brothers and sisters or a member of the church. We carefully craft those words to hurt another person. The Bible calls our mouth an open sepulcher. An open sepulcher is a tomb full of bones and rotting flesh, unclean. We do evil to our neighbor. We're unclean. Our pride, our selfishness, our covetousness, our malice, our envy, our lustful thoughts and desires make us unclean clean. Our flesh defiles us. Our sin defiles us. Our sin makes us unworthy to enter God's presence and to have fellowship with Him. Our sins make us unworthy of God's favor because we're unclean. That's the first aspect of David's misery uncleanness. 
In addition, David feels guilty and David feels broken. Hide thy face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. He says that because he is and feels guilty and make me to hear joy and gladness that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. He says that because he was and felt broken. Guilty and broken. Unclean, guilty, broken. Guilt is blameworthiness. Guilt means that we acknowledge that we deserve punishment. That's true. Objectively, we deserve punishment, and we feel ourselves to deserve that punishment, and we admit and confess that we deserve that punishment. Guilt, then, is incompatible with denial. One who is guilty and knows himself to be guilty does not say, I did not do it. Guilt is also incompatible with making excuses. One who is guilty and knows himself to be guilty does not say, I didn't mean to do it, or I couldn't help doing it. One who is guilty and knows himself to be guilty does not shift the blame either. He made me do it, or she made me do it. Nor does he minimize what he has done. It's not as bad as you think. I only did it once. It's not such a big deal. You're overreacting to what I did. But rather, one who is guilty speaks of his sins, iniquities, and transgressions. In verse 3, David said that these things, his sins, iniquities, and transgressions, were ever before him. That's a terrible thing. For your sins to be ever before you so that they haunt you. You cannot get them out of your mind. Your conscience is terrified because of them. But now in verse 9, David makes this plea, hide thy face from my sins. And the idea behind that plea is this, David sees God as having his sins always before his mind. As it were, David's sins are before God's face. David's sins are in God's thoughts. God remembers David's sins, and David understands that. And so David cries out to God, hide thy face from my sins. That's terrifying too. 
for God to say to us, your sins are before my face. I can see them. They're right before my face. I know what you did. I saw what you did. I saw that covetousness in your heart, David. I saw when you lusted after Bathsheba. And I was there, David, when you took Uriah's wife, and I observed you as you wrote the death warrant for Uriah, my servant, and I saw you live in deceit for up to a year, covering your sin and not confessing your sin. I saw it all. I remember it all. I have forgotten nothing and overlooked nothing of what you have done, David. Your sin is before my face. And God might say to us, I heard what you said to your spouse. And I heard how you spoke to your parents. And I know what you looked at on your phone or on your computer. And I know the pride and selfishness and envy in your heart. All of those things are before my face. I see them. I know them. I remember them. Which means, of course, we cry out to God, hide thy face from my sins. And he adds in verse 9, blot out all mine iniquities. He said that in verse 1, blot out my transgressions. And the idea we saw of blotting out is to wipe away. Not wiping away with a cloth, as it were, some kind of surface level guilt, as it were. But the idea here is of a mark, a blot in a book, as it were, which must be removed. David's iniquities are written in God's book then. His covetousness, his adultery, his murder, his deceit, his selfishness, his blasphemy, they're all written in God's book beside David's name. And they must be expunged from the record. They must be obliterated, says David. That's his guilt. Uncleanness, guilt, and third, brokenness. Verse 8. He writes in verse 8 about the bones which God has broken. And again, this is poetry, of course. This is figurative language because, as far as we know, David's bones were not actually broken. He wasn't actually severely injured and had his bones fractured, but the idea is of something extremely painful which takes a long time to heal. A fracture of a physical bone is extremely painful and it takes a long time to heal. He's more concerned, though, about his heart and his soul. 
His heart is broken. His soul is broken because of his guilt, broken because of the shame that he feels over his sins. And the one who broke his bones was God himself. Thou hast broken, he says. Psalm 32 describes the process by which God broke David's bones. Psalm 32, 3 and 4, When I kept silence, my bones waxed old through my roaring all the day long. For day and night thy hand was heavy upon me. My moisture is turned into the drought of summer. So God's hand, it comes down upon David and it crushes him. The pressure of God's hand upon David is enough to cause his bones to wax old. And God dried up the moisture of David's life, the pleasure of David's life, so that he became increasingly miserable, and then he roared like a wounded animal because of this crushing of his bones. And this continued, this sense of bone-crushing misery, this continued as long as he did not confess his sin or repent. When I kept silence. In Psalm 51, David is in the process of confessing his sin. He is repenting in Psalm 51, but his bones, notice, are not yet healed because broken bones take time to heal. Don't expect if you fall into some gross sin and walk for a time in that gross sin that you're going to simply one day feel all better again after repenting. It's a process. It's going to be a process. Remember Canons 5.5, David has incurred a deadly guilt. It takes time for that guilt to be removed David has grieved the Holy Spirit. It takes time for the effect of that to disappear. David has interrupted the exercise of faith. It takes time for faith again to function properly. David has very grievously wounded his conscience. It takes time for a wounded conscience to heal. And David has lost the sense of God's favor for a time, it takes time for an awakened soul to sense God's favor again, to come to full assurance again after a miserable fall. So David in Psalm 51 is miserable. He's unclean, he's guilty, he's broken, he's crushed. He has a humble request. He needs to be purged. He needs to be washed. He needs to be forgiven. He needs to be restored to fellowship and assured of God's love. And he asks for those things in the text. Purge me 
Wash me, hide thy face from my sins, blot out all mine iniquities, make me to hear joy and gladness. The answer to uncleanness is verse 7. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Hyssop was a plant of the mint family that grows in the Middle East, a sweet-smelling, strong-flavored herb. Its main use was ceremonial. It was used in the Passover feast, for example. Hyssop was used as a brush to apply the blood of the lamb to the doors of the Israelites in Egypt. It was used to sprinkle the ashes of a red heifer upon an unclean person in Numbers 19, and it was used, as we read together, in Leviticus 14 in the cleansing of a leper. David views himself as a leper and wants to be cleansed as if he were a leper. Now, if David had actually been an unclean person, an actual unclean person, he could have gone to the priest. Let's say he had defiled himself by eating unclean meat. Or let's say he had defiled himself by touching a dead body. He could have gone to the priest and asked to be cleansed by means of the sprinkling of blood with hyssop. But that was not possible in David's case because David was an adulterer and a murderer, and for the adulterer and the murderer in Israel, there was no sprinkling of blood with hyssop. The adulterer, the murderer, could not go to the priest and say, would you please sprinkle me with blood, with hyssop? For the adulterer and the murderer, there was the pelting of stones until one was dead, because both adultery and murder carried the death penalty. And David was spared that penalty only because God said to him, thou shalt not die. But ordinarily, a murderer, an adulterer, would expect the death penalty. Hebrews 10, 28 says, he that despised Moses' law died without mercy. And so David does not go to the priest. He goes to God directly. He does not say, purge me by means of the priest, or let the priest purge me with hyssop, but he says to God directly, God, purge me. And David here is not interested so much in hyssop. He knows that hyssop has in itself no purging qualities. He wants 
what hyssop represents. He's using ceremonial language and applying applying it to a moral idea. He wants to be clean in God's sight. He wants to be free from his sin so that he can have fellowship with God again. He says to God, as it were, make me like a cleansed leper. A cleansed leper. One who had been cut off but is now restored because of the shedding of blood and the application of blood with hyssop. He asks to be washed. He asks to be made clean. There are different kinds of dirt which require different kinds of cleaning. You know this if you have ever had something spill in your house. There's surface level dirt, and then there's deeply ingrained dirt. Surface level dirt occurs when something falls upon a surface and simply remains on that surface so that it can be easily wiped away or brushed away. Such a spillage is rarely a disaster in the home. But deeply ingrained dirt occurs when the surface is able to absorb that substance and cause a stain then. You spill coffee on the carpet. It goes into the carpet fibers. It is taken in. It is absorbed into that carpet and causes a stain which will last unless it is properly treated. That's the idea of the second kind of dirt. You require two different kinds of washing then, one for surface level and one for deeply ingrained dirt. And that's true also of the cleansing of a leper. Leviticus 14 verse 9 says this, But it shall be on the seventh day that he, that is the leper, he shall shave all his hair off his head and his beard and his eyebrows, even all his hair he shall shave off, and then this, and he shall wash his clothes, also he shall wash his flesh in water, and he shall be clean. We have in the English version here the verb wash twice. But Hebrew has two different verbs for washing. There's the washing of clothes, that's one kind of washing, and there's the washing of flesh, his own flesh, that's the other kind of washing. One the washing of flesh is washing by pouring water upon something. That's how we wash ourselves, for example, in the shower. We pour water upon ourselves. The leper was to pour water upon himself to wash his flesh. 
But then there's the washing of the clothes, and the washing of the clothes is washing by rubbing and by kneading and by treading, as we might do to remove a very deeply ingrained stain. You don't just pour some water over that stain and hope it goes away, but you have to knead it and you have to rub it and tread it until that stain is removed. And that was the idea of the leper. He took his clothes and he would wash them thoroughly to remove every last part of infection from his clothes. He scrubbed his clothes. That's the idea here. Wash me. Don't wash me as if my sin is some kind of surface-level transgression, but my sin is something in which I have soaked myself, as it were. This sin is deeply ingrained. This sin has permeated every part of my being. I have been lying in this sin for a very long time. I've soaked myself in this filth so that I I'm completely covered in this filth. I have to confess this sin before God. And the longer David refused to confess his sin, the longer he lived in that sin, the longer he soaked himself in that sin, the more he needed to be cleansed, scrubbed, as it were, clean because he's unholy in his thoughts, in his words, in his deeds. His sin has warped his character. His sin affects his relationships with others and with God. His sin cannot be easily wiped away. It must have a deep clean. And he cannot wash himself. So he says, wash me. Wash me. God is the one who must wash him. And then, as far as his guilt goes, he says this, hide thy face from my sins, blot out all mine iniquities. What does God do when he hides his face from our sins? He disregards them. He puts them out of his mind. He forgets them. He deliberately forgets them. David says here to God, I know, I know that thou seest my sins. I know that thou seest my covetousness and my adultery and my murder and my deceit and my blasphemy. Do not regard them. Forget them. Don't look upon them. Don't view me in light of them. Don't punish me for them. And then God forgives. That's what God does. When God forgives, he turns his face away from our sins. Not from us, but from our sins. Not because he forgets in the sense that they go out of his mind because he is omniscient after all. He knows and sees everything, but he chooses not to see them. He chooses to disregard them because he is merciful and because he is gracious. 
and then he blots out all our iniquities. He strikes them from the record. Remember that record book that God has? And besides David's name, we have those words, covetousness and adultery and murder and deceit and blasphemy. Well, God crosses out all of those words. He blots all of those sins out. And instead he writes the word righteous. Righteous. That's what God does with respect to our sins too. We have sins, we have iniquities, we have transgressions, we have broken all of God's commandments, we have kept none of them perfectly, we are depraved and corrupt, and God crosses it all out and writes, righteous. Righteous means in perfect harmony with, in complete conformity to God's standard as expressed in God's law. And then David asks for assurance. Verse 8, make me to hear joy and gladness that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. Now David had, in a sense, already heard this joy and gladness Because Nathan had said to him, The Lord also hath put away thy sin. But David wants to hear that again and again and again, to be reminded and assured of it, to be comforted concerning it, because of the great depth of his sin and the depth of his impenitence. Broken bones. Bones broken by God's chastisement. Bones bones broken by God's rebuke from his word. Bones broken by conviction over sin. They must hear joy and gladness. They must hear joy and gladness from God himself the assurance of God himself by his word and spirit that we are restored and forgiven. And then those bones which God broke by his rebuke, by his chastisement, then those bones shall rejoice. About David's expectation, we can be brief. He expected to receive what he asked for. Because, remember, he asks, he prays in faith. We must come to God as we pray. We must come in faith, expecting to receive what we ask for. And so he says... I shall be clean. I shall be whiter than snow. My bones shall rejoice. He could add, God shall hide his face from my sins, and God shall blot out all my iniquities, There's the language of faith, beloved. There's the language of confidence in God. 
I shall be clean. Why? Because of a greater purging than that with hyssop. Hyssop is symbolic, a symbolic cleansing, the true cleansing which David is looking for and which he expects to receive is the cleansing which occurs when the blood of Jesus Christ is applied to his guilty soul. Then he shall be clean in the sight of God and know himself to be clean. Hebrews 9 says this, Hebrews 9, 13 and 14. For if the blood of bulls and of goats and the ashes of an heifer sprinkling the unclean, that was done with hyssop, sprinkling the unclean, sanctifieth the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. I shall be clean because Jesus Christ shed his blood on the cross to make me clean. I shall be whiter than snow. To an Israelite, there was nothing whiter than snow. Snow, as we know, is brilliant, pure, dazzling, pristine white. And David's sins had stained him from head to toe. David's sins had permeated his entire being. And yet he can say in confidence, I shall be white. I shall be whiter than snow. Why? Because I am washed in the blood and by the Spirit of Christ who takes away my guilty stains, who takes away my pollution and filth and makes me whiter than the snow. God shall hide his face from my sins, and God shall blot out all mine iniquities, because Jesus Christ was punished in my place, and God will not look upon me in light of my sins, and punish me for my sins, and destroy me for my sins, because Jesus Christ was punished in my place on the cross. And finally, my bones the bones which God himself has broken, my bones shall rejoice. Nothing makes God's people rejoice more than to be assured that their sins are forgiven, that they enjoy the fellowship and favor of God. And David here has not yet reached that full assurance. As he writes this psalm, his bones did not yet rejoice. But he was confident that they would. My bones shall rejoice. In the way of repentance, in the way of confession of sin, he would rejoice, and he did rejoice. And all those who confess their sin, repent of that sin, 
and believe in Jesus Christ, all their bones shall rejoice also. Amen. Our Father in heaven, we thank thee for thy word. We confess our sin before thee. We confess that we are by nature and often in practice guilty and unclean like lepers before thee. We thank thee for the assurance that thy gospel gives to us that we are forgiven. We are forgiven not because of what we do, but because of what Jesus Christ has done for us on the cross. Give us grace to receive that truth and to appropriate that to ourselves and to be comforted by it. For Christ's sake, amen.